They're cutting out. Can you repeat that? Go for production. Go for production. I said go for production. Production. That's right. You're listening to a podcast about TV and film production. Join us as we converse with industry leaders and gain insight into their strategies, their systems, and best practices in bringing a script to life. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Brendan Riley. Welcome to another episode of Go For Production, where it's my job to deconstruct and demystify the production process in both film and television. We'll talk about strategies, systems, and tools the pros use so you can be inspired to move forward in your filmmaking career. Today's guest is Alex Ferrari. Alex is an author, blogger, speaker, consultant, the host of the number one filmmaking podcast on iTunes, the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, and an award-winning writer, director with 25 years of experience in the film industry. As a director, his films have screened in over 500 international film festivals. Alex recently released his second book, Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, How to Turn Your Indie Film into a Money-Making Business. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Well, it was your podcast that originally inspired me to start this podcast, so I'm, I'd love to to turn the favor. Um, I wanted to... Oh, oh hey, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> so you, you recently released this book, and we'll kind of talk about it a little bit. Um, so... Why did you decide to write this book, and how long has it been in your head? Um, the the whole concept of the book, I, I mean, I, I've been studying the film industry as as long as I can remember. So I've always been analyzing people's journeys make to make it to the top, if you will. So if that started with Steven Spielberg and Scorsese and Coppola to Robert Rodriguez, Kevin Smith, uh, Steven Soderbergh, and those guys of that generation. I always was studying models. I was always studying paths that people took. And as technology has changed and the industry has changed, I started seeing some, some, some signs, some, some little breadcrumbs that are being left behind for the rest of us to kind of analyze and go, wait a minute, the game is changing. And, and no one's really talking about it as far as what, what filmmakers can actually do uh, as far as generating revenue with their films. And the uh, and then the idea for Film Entrepreneur came around about a little less than a year ago, where I after I came up with it, I trademarked the the term. Uh, so you owe me a dime every time you say something, sir. Um, I'm joking, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I I trademarked it because I wanted to build an entire world around it. So I, I built a website, I built a blog, I built a uh, podcast and a YouTube channel. And then when I launched it all around four or five months ago, I launched it with a pre-order of this book. By the way, the book hadn't been written yet when I pre-ordered it. I just designed the cover and said, hey guys, I'm gonna write this book. So I started writing it right away. And basically I just wanted to create a method that would teach people the new way of making revenue and making money with their film to kind of deconstruct or break down the old model that was first never designed for us. It's, it's never designed for the artist. It's never designed for the creative. The system is built to, to fatten the pockets of the middleman, which are studios, film distributors, uh, and other people who are not the creative. And the new world that we live in and the new film economy, as I'm calling it, there are so many opportunities for filmmakers to be able to generate revenue with their films. 
in, in out-of-the-box thinking. So you have to kind of approach the filmmaking process completely differently, where we have been taught through film schools and through media that the toughest part is to make a movie. And then that, when the movie's done, your job is done, you just have, then have to sell it to a distributor or sell it to a producer or a studio and then either get money up front or get you know money on the back end. And that would be the extent of what you could do with your movie. And that's, not, that's just not the case anymore. And it's also untrue because many filmmakers over the course of the last 15, 20 years who have kind of worked outside of the system have been able to generate, many of them been able to generate like full-blown multi-million dollar empires uh, from nothing, from like zero nothing, and also not leveraging studios like uh, some of the earlier filmmakers I mentioned did, because that was the time that they came up in, so it made the most sense to do that. But the after after doing so many interviews in the, with my podcast, I interviewed filmmaker after filmmaker, and I was always looking for stories of unique ways filmmakers were making money, whether that be four walling, whether that be the regional cinema model, whether that be creating ancillary product lines, uh, selling services, you know, hustling different different ways. I said, well, I, I got all this information and it was all basically in my head. And I said, I got to kind of build a whole method behind this, a whole model. And and with the work that I do with Indie Film Hustle, my own online business, there's a lot of things that I brought in from the online, not online marketing, but online marketing and online business world that I've I've been, I've been in for the last five years to start applying all of those concepts and, and uh, revenue streams to the filmmaking process. And that's how Filmtrepreneur came about. So I decided to put this book together and, and really give everybody a, a fighting chance in the new world order, if you will, <laughs> because the old system is, is dead. I mean, it really is dead. And for independent filmmakers, they're, the only hope they have is to become entrepreneurial or, or to have a film entrepreneurial uh, mindset when making their film. And that goes, by the way, for art house films, personal films that might not have a large audience to, you know, more genre-based films like horror films or actions or sci-fi films that might have, that are a little bit more commercial in nature. But the model works with every kind of film at every budget range. And, the film entrepreneurial model is basically what Disney and George Lucas did in many ways. Mm -hmm. You know, George Lucas took their movie and he made multi-billion dollar business out of creating, creating revenue streams outside and services outside of the movies themselves. He used the movies as a launching pad to build a business. Disney did this with Steamboat Willie and Snow White back in the 1930s. You know, as of right now, as we're speaking, Disney just made $10 somewhere selling a t-shirt with Mickey on it, yep. as we're speaking right now. You know what I mean? So, but that's really grandiose theory. But what I wanted to do is bring it down to the grandiose level and down to the street level of independent filmmaking and go, guys, these are the tools that you have at your disposal to start building your own business. And in you, if you expand it, could build your own little empire that could provide for your family, could provide for your community, could provide for uh, your crew and your cast, and you can build this little thing out with the tools and the techniques that I teach you. So I wanted to bring everything down 
to a level where anybody could could start doing this with a film that they've made in the past, or preferably one that they're about to get into or in the middle of making. You know, when I was I was reading your book, I kept thinking to myself, yep, I've experienced that. Yep, been there. <laughs> um, it, <laughs> it reminded me, you know, when I was in film school, I, you know, I read the book. You mentioned the Robert Rodriguez. Um, you know, he made the movie for seven thousand dollars. And I Rebel without a Rebel without a crew. Yeah. And right, Rebel without a crew camera, right? Um, and I think you know that book was revolutionary for me when I was in college because it kind of gave me this insight that there are possible ways to do it outside the system. Um, but I think you know if we compare your book to his book, your book is more up to date. It's closer to to twenty. 20 um Mm -hmm. and if you think about it you know we live in an interesting time where you can do so much with the technology we have in our hands right i mean um Mm -hmm. i i I think it was maybe 2009 or so when the dslr revolution really came into being correct and and that really changed Mm -hmm. everything you know um i remember the, the 7d came out the, Can- the Canon 7D came out and um, I went and shot some footage like the first day I got my hands on it and it was just amazing what what could what we could do with it. Um, you know, what, what do you hope this, this book can do for young people, especially, you know, up and coming um, college students and um, or pe- people that are, you know, they've been wanting to make, make a movie, but they have this, you know, maybe they've been working professionally, they working in film but they haven't yet to venture out into that um endeavor to make make their own movie what do you what do you hope for that in terms of this book well well the the thing is the book is is good for anybody in the film industry whether that be the film student just coming up or the or the veteran who's been in it for 30 years because the veteran has, has been taught and is used to the old world model the old way of doing things. So this is a, an education for them, and it's also an education for uh, you know someone who's never been in the business and knows no better. I I would rather them learn this way than being had to had to uh, have to teach them or have to uh, show them how to unlearn what they learned because that model that they're being taught now at film school or through whatever systems whatever media they're consuming is incorrect. The big the big thing I hope for is this. Right now, before the, 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 the barrier of entry to make a movie was the making of the movie. It was extremely expensive. It was extremely cumbersome. It was, a, it was a big thing to do. Nowadays, the technology is so affordable and the resources are so available that almost anybody can make an independent film or a series or, or large you know, you know, a, a video content that could be sold. The, now the new barrier of entry is how to generate revenue, how to get eyeballs on it, how to, um, how to get any attention in this insane, massive ocean of content that we're being, I mean, there's so much content being dumped on us on a daily basis. And the streaming wars are just starting. They're, they haven't even kicked up into full year yet. So these, these, these big companies like HBO, like Warner's, Universal, Disney, uh, Apple, 
and of course Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu, these guys are spending billions and billions of dollars on extremely high-end, really good content. You know, we are in a in a in a golden age of te- not only of television but of content creation because so many voices are being allowed to do what they're doing and they have a voice now. So the content thing is, is a lot. But the problem with that is that independent filmmakers now need to compete with all of this content. So what I hope the book teaches everybody is the main concept and the main tool that the independent filmmaker has in the war against, or the weapon that they have in the war against this billions and billions of dollars that the studios are pumping in is the niche. The riches are in the niches, as one of my chapter titles said. When I say niche, I mean that if you if you understand who your market is, who your audience is, before, in the middle, or while, or after you've made your movie, hopefully at the beginning would be preferable, but it can work at any time. Understand who your audience is, and then you design your product or your film to feed and to be a value to that audience. So I always use the example, if you're a fan of surfing, if you're, you know, that's a hobby of yours. If you're really passionate about surfing, if you're, if you're skimming through your Netflix feed or your Amazon feed or whatever feed you're on, if you see a documentary, if you see a movie about surfing, generally speaking, because you have an emotional attachment to that, you will, that will cut through the billions of dollars of marketing that the studios are doing. It'll jump right to the top of your, of your uh, watch list. And you will actively go to try to consume that content because you're passionate about that. That curation, that kind of emotional um, alchemy that you're trying to create with an audience is extremely powerful. Just like if you did something, that's why the faith-based movies do so well because there's such an emotional attachment. Uh, it's a tribal mentality as well. So if it's political, if it's um, you know paleo, if it's being a vegan, a vegetarian, if it's being a barbecue pit champion, meat, you know, meat eaters, whatever that tribe is, or whatever that emotional attachment is, and also it's identity. You know, you identify like, you know, if you identify as a vegan and that new documentary called Game Changers that was produced by Cameron and Schwarzenegger comes out about vegan athletes, all of a sudden that movie jumps to the top of your list. You actually seek out that movie because you identify as far as being part of that tribe, as that community. So that is the power that we as filmmakers have at our disposal and will by will completely devastate any billion dollar marketing campaign that another that studios have in all of these big movies because you'll get to those movies eventually but what will cut through all of it right away is niche and i hope that is what the um the book does for, for filmmakers reading it that they have to start understanding that when they start making a movie they have to think about the audience and by the way that is that could very well be the personal art house movie, black and white movie about your, your, your brother and sister, you know, which in today's marketplace is very difficult to sell. But if you like, I want to make a black and white, you know, introspective drama 
about my uncle and uh, and my mother's experiences in in Bali. I don't know, whatever. Um, <laughs> that then you have to understand. Well, who's my audience for that? Well, right. is it just my family? Is it going to be just my community? Who is going to be that audience? So then, once you understand who that audience is, you can re- you can uh, justify a budget to do it. It could, and if you're independently wealthy, you can make that hundred million dollar movie. It's up to you. But if you if you don't have that money, you just have to figure out how to generate that revenue or generate that budget or, or create a budget that 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 audience justifies. And you can express yourself as much as you want. Like my latest movie I made for 3000 bucks, which is an experimental film, but it is completely aligned with my audience, which are filmmakers. It's completely aligned with the film entrepreneurial model, but yet it was still extremely experimental when I made it. So I didn't risk a lot of money to do it. So it's all, it's all about being smart about this because unfortunately our art form is extremely expensive. It's an expensive art form. I wish I could just pick up a guitar go into a corner somewhere and just sing and express myself as an artist. It's very, very expensive to do what we do. And, you know, even if it's a couple thousand dollars, it still takes collaboration, it takes time, you need to work with other people. It's a complicated art form, to say the least. It's not the most expensive or one of the most expensive art forms other than architecture, you know, arguably. Um, So you have to be responsible or if you want to, actually make a living doing your art, then you need to understand the business and you have to start thinking like a business person when you're making your art because all the great ones, all the great artists, all the great directors in our industry, generally speaking, know the business, understand the business. That had long-term success, they all understand the business. Spielberg, Nolan, Fincher, Tarantino, all of these guys, they all understand the the business side of of their of their craft. And if they don't, they just won't survive because without the show, without the business, there ain't no show. The business aspect of it is, is probably the most difficult. Um, and I think it's one of the things that gets overlooked really easily. You know, it's, you know, in film schools, we, we learned about cinematography and lighting and all these things. But, you know, I only remember taking one course on entrepreneurship and, you know, we barely, touch the surface, you know, it, it, um, when you're thinking about the business side of filmmaking, um, and, and you mentioned this film that you recently produced, directed, um, on the corner of ego and desire. I want to kind of jump into that film just a little bit. Um, so you said you made the film for $3,000. Talk about what was the, um, this idea of the script bit you mentioned in your book where where you're not having a full script, but you have an outline, you have some ideas, but you kind of trust the the actors to run with it. What was that like using that script bit method? Well, my first two features I've done using the script bit method because it's a very powerful way of being able to produce a film fairly quickly and fairly affordably. Uh, The concept of the script bit uh, which is nothing I invented, by the way. The Beatles brothers were doing it before, and, right. and you know a lot of a lot of other filmmakers have used the scriptment in the past. But the scriptment is basically uh, an, a, a very structured outline. So every scene in the movie is laid out in the, in the scriptment. So you explain what happens in the scene, you explain the story points in the scene, and what needs to happen in that scene. 
how the actors get from point A to point B is up to them. So you basically just guide them and going, look, we need to have this and this happen. Have fun. Let's go to it. And and you have to have actors who are very good improvers, who understand are very comfortable in this space. Not many actors are. So you have to not, not that there are there are actually many actors who are, but you have to find them because if you have a you know a, a classically trained actor who is only used to just reading their lines. And by the way, there are some times where I write dialogue in those scenes because there's dialogue that comes to me like this has to be said, right. but you know, play around with the rest of it. Um, that, that is, uh, you have to find people who are willing to do that so that they're classically trained. Sometimes they just, they just lock up because it, it, it's fairly, it's fairly adventurous to, to make a movie like this. And by the way, everybody on board has to be a pirate. So you have to understand that your crew has to be on board uh, and your cast have to be on board. Because, look, I, I actually interviewed actors here in L.A. He told me straight up, I can't do what you're asking me to do because I'm going to get arrested. Uh, and I'm like, you're not the right actor for this project right. anyway. Yeah. Because, you know, we shot the movie at the Sundance Film Festival. So let me explain what the movie is. The movie's called On the Corner of Ego and Desire. It's a film shot at the Sundance Film Festival the narrative film shot at the Sundance Film Festival while the festival is going on about three filmmakers trying to hunt down a producer so they could sell their film, their ridiculous $200,000 independent black and white film. Um, and it is a pair, it's kind of like a, a parody. It's kind of like best of show and waiting for Guffman meets and Final Tap meets the player. Right. So it's a combination of every ridiculous thing I've ever done or I've ever heard of, of other filmmakers doing with their ego and their just ridiculousness and, and just ignorance of the process mixed in with a lot of heart, kind of like a love letter to independent filmmakers. It's a love letter to Park City, the, the city that hosts um, the Sundance Film Festival because I've been there so much. So the whole, the whole concept of being a Park City during the festival is a very magical thing. It is a very unique experience. No other place in the world really has that experience. And I wanted to kind of give a love letter to that and also poke fun at it, poke fun at Sundance. Uh, and, and just, you really get to do something I had never seen before because no one had ever shot a narrative film at the festival while the festival was going on. By the way, without any permission, it was completely guerrilla. I even shot two scenes in Sundance headquarters while the festival was going on. So, <laughs> So the film is extremely experimental. We shot the whole thing in uh, four days. So a, a total of around 36 hours we shot this film. Wow. So it was a crew of, it was a crew of two to three people. Uh, me, my, 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 me, my DP, my sound guy, and then a friend of mine who was basically the go-to guy for everything else. And we had our three crew members, our three cast. That was it. And then we would just run around Sundance getting scenes. And I knew Sundance very well because I've been there so many times. So I wrote scenes specifically for places in Park City that I knew we could go shoot. And it was all theory. Like, I didn't know if we were going to get stopped. I didn't. I had a theory that, oh, if you have a camera at the Sundance Film Festival, no one's going to stop you because everyone has a camera. So we shot really low profile and we ran around and we did it. And we just, you know, when we got there, we discussed, you know, I had to sit down with the whole cast and crew and discuss the story. We worked some things out. The cast, you know, I gave cast a little bit more control of their character. So, you know, we had conversations about what they wanted to do, where they thought their their um, 
their characters could go. And uh, we just had a ball doing it. And it was a very wonderful, probably one of the most wonderful shooting experiences I'd ever had. And it is a, a completely experimental film because I literally got on the plane coming back home to LA and I didn't know if I had a film. I literally had no idea if I had a real feature film in, in my hard drive. I just didn't because I didn't have the time to check footage. I mean, I, I checked to see if I was getting an image and audio, of course, right. but I had no idea if I had constructed something that made sense. How long was this, the script, the script meant? Uh, I don't know, probably around 10, 15 pages, something like that. And, and how long did it well, take you to, to write that piece? Did it come naturally? Oh, it took me a few days. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a few days because I didn't get to do the story very well. I mean, it's, it's just, like they always say, write what you know. Mm -hmm. Well, I know independent filmmakers. I, I know independent filmmakers. So, you know, you tell me, hey, why don't you write a story about three filmmakers trying to sell their movie at Sundance? And I'm like, oh, God. And just ideas just flew in. You know, it's it, it, you know the ridiculousness of things that I did going to Sundance. Um, so there was like a, multiple things I was trying to touch. I was, I was trying to touch the the truth of what it's like to be at the Sundance Film Festival in today's world, not the the glamoury things that they show, but the actual reality of it. Not being able to get anywhere, you know, you're freezing, your Airbnb is is not there, um, you're out of breath because of the altitude. <laughs> Right. Uh, you know, uh, everything's super expensive, crowd, like all of that stuff. Then I'm trying to touch on the ego of a ridiculous independent filmmaker. So I've, I've been that ridiculous independent filmmaker, so I knew that character quite well. So I elaborated on that. And then I also just added just all these stories of, and, and stories of filmmakers I either, I've either worked with in post or I, I knew or heard of. Uh, in, in my travel. So I just kind of built this character around it. And then Sonia, my star, she just took it to a whole other level. And then Rob and Randy, who played the actor and the producer of that movie, in, in the movie, they took their characters off into other directions as well. So I was trying to touch that. I was trying to make a love letter to filmmakers, just kind of like, guys are making fun of us because we're ridiculous and we're crazy being in this business in the first place. But I also wanted to show the brutality of what making those kind of decisions happen. So, you know, there is heart-wrenching scenes in the movie that any filmmaker watching it will, will cry because they've been there. You know, being so close to your dream and getting it slapped out of your hand. I've been there multiple times. My first book was all about that. Um, and then, but also the, the hope, the ridiculous hope that we have to keep going. And that you need to keep going and that you need to work as a team. You need to work as a community to tell the stories that are important to you. And, and that's what I, I was trying to touch on all of that in this little experimental film. So at a, you know, at a $3,000 budget, I thought, sure, I'll, I'll give it a shot. If I, if I had to spend $50,000 on this, I wouldn't have done it. It would, be, it would just be too, I couldn't, I, I, you know, I can't afford to lose 50 grand. I could, I could afford to lose three. I can't afford to lose 50. So, and it was also strategic in the sense because I knew that even if I just could get something made that was somewhat decent, my audience would like it because there's just nothing like this in the marketplace. And my audience that I've cultivated over the course of the last five years are independent filmmakers. So this product, this film will touch them emotionally 
uh, in a way that other content probably won't. And, and I talk about that in my book. I actually explain that I use it as a case study multiple times in the book, how I'm using the book to drive traffic and to drive sales of the movie. But the movie's already driven, driven sales of my book, and I've already generated revenue from this movie before I ever even release it, which comes out, it comes out uh, three days before Sundance 2020, so it comes out January 21st. So I wanted to show filmmakers what was going on uh, kind of like inside, like the, the phone calls coming from inside the house, kind of, right. <laughs> kind of way of looking at it. So you're in development on this movie. Um, how did you convince you know these these crew people, these these cast, to join you in this crazy endeavor? Well, the basic, um, you know, I, I have a few of them were my friends already knew who I was, uh, and and worked with me before, so it's not a problem. And then the cast, uh, one of them was a member of my community, Rob. And then I asked him to find some other cast members that I can try to cast from over Skype to see if they wanted to be in the movie. And the, there was two things I did. One, I used, I, I said this to everybody involved. I'm like, look, guys, I don't know what we're going to get at the end of this. I don't know what movie is going to be done at the end of this. Whatever is done will be seen by, by many people. But... At the minimum, at the minimum, you will have in 10 years, you will be able to tell a story of that one time you shot a feature film at the Sundance Film Festival. And that's something that no one will ever be able to take away from you. And let's go on an adventure together. And it's not a hard sell. It really <laughs> isn't. Like you're going to, you know, you're going to stay on Main Street in this insane uh, condo that we have access to. And by the way, all the actors, it was their first time. So a lot of the stuff that they experience in the movie, it's their first time. So you can see it in their faces. They're just like, holy cow, we're here. You know, and so that was a, that was the big selling point. And the other thing that helped is because of, you know, the, the platform I've been able to create with Indie Film Hustle. So that added a, a, a tremendous level of legitimacy to who I am and what I'm doing. I'm not sure if a first time filmmaker could do what I did at the Sundance Film Festival. Like it would, it, it, you need a lot of trust from the people working with you to make something like this happen. I've earned that trust over the course of my career, and more recently over the last five years working on Indie Film Hustle, that anybody who just looks me up online they go, well, this guy obviously is serious, and he's he's been directing for a long time. He's going to make something. This is not a waste of my time. And uh, that's something that you need time to build up. But my, this is a, that's an extreme version of this. You know, my first movie, This Is Meg, was shot here in L.A., mostly in friends' houses. And I stole uh, a shot over a couple of scenes over at the Hollywood sign. And that was it. And it was just basically friends coming over to houses and we shot a whole bunch of scenes. And that was it. And, it was, and again, it was people just trusted me. And I wasn't as big of a... Um, I didn't have as big of a presence online. Yeah, I mean, I had Indie Film Hustle at that point, but it was only about a year old. So it didn't have the same gravitas that it has now. Uh, but people just saw my work from the past. So I, I leveraged my career to get, because I had really good actors on that movie, like very seasoned, big time actors who worked with, you know, big, you know, million dollar studio films. And they were coming in to do our little, you know, independent dramedy, you know? So, 
that's how that's how I was able to do what I did on on the corner of Eagle Empire. So, in the process of making this film, what were some of the challenges that you had? Um, I mean, obviously, not much time. But was was there a certain schedule that you put together, or what were you trying to accomplish in those three days? Well, um, in the four days, uh, the, the, I was making this movie on the side. Believe it or not, I was still interviewing people at Sundance for my podcast. Oh my gosh! So in in between interviews, I would go and shoot this movie. <laughs> So, uh, like I told you, this is a very insane story. It's in a very insane way of making a movie. There's so many variables that we had no idea about. When you're making a movie like this, in, in such an uncontrollable environment, because you really can't lock off streets. You really can't stop people from from walking in front of your lens, which I did, by the way, uh, a lot of times. Um, I was fairly bold. <laughs> <laughs> when I was doing this, for this kind of filmmaking, and again, for this kind of story, you kind of have to let whatever happens, happen. One of my, one of my guys, my go-to guy, he went out and scouted the, the hotel. And all of a sudden, he comes back and like, I got a shot. And I went outside, and we were in a, a closed-down like outdoor restaurant which opened itself up to the element and it was snowing and there was like a ton of snow on the air and there was like fire pits blaring. And I said, well, that's a shot. Let's do the scene there. So we got these beautiful shots of snow flurry coming down and the fire coming up. And that was something that happened on the day. I didn't plan that. So I just, I planned the scene I planned the scene, but I didn't plan how we were going to get the scene. So a lot of times, you know, we just would go to a, a location that I had planned and the location wouldn't work well. So we just rolled with the punches. Okay, where else can we go? There's a, a beautiful scene towards the end of the movie where my main character meets another character. And in the background, there's these beautiful, it's in the trailer, these beautiful glowing Christmas lights in the tree. And we were outside across the street from slam dance. And even, even one of my characters, one of my actors in the movie, Robert Peters, who if you look him up, Robert Peters has been in everything. He's worked with Spielberg and Soderbergh and, and so many big directors. He was a guest in our, in our, um, in our condo. And he kept asking me, Hey man, can I be in your movie? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'll get to you, man. I'm sorry. I'm busy right now. <laughs> And I didn't know who he was until I looked him up. And then we finally needed a part. We had a part for him. I'm like, hey, you want to do this? And then when I looked him up, I'm like, holy crap, this guy was in Ocean's Eleven. That's he funny. was like, he worked with Spielberg and catch me if you can. Like, are you kidding me? Like, and he's like, he's been in everything. He's got like a hundred credits to him. He's a great character actor. But I didn't plan that. You see what I mean? So mm -hmm. you kind of have to be very open to what happens. And that's also a very extreme example of it because we're locked up in a lo in basically in a city and we have four days, the, the clock is ticking and there's so much energy and so many you know, things going on that that allows that thing to happen. But even on a smaller scale, even in my first movie where it was just me and two or three other actors in a location, you kind of have to let things happen with whatever the actors do or whatever the location kind of 
presents to you. So it's a different kind of filmmaking. It's it's not for every kind of story, you know, because I've shot, you know, million dollar series and and you know and think, you know I've worked on other projects as a director, commercials and music videos and things where things have to be much more traditional, much more structured. Um, but these kind of films at these budget ranges, you can kind of play and come up with some really cool stuff. And uh, I love I, it's very I, I like it because I work I'm working without a net. You're really out on the edge when you're doing things like this. And again, I wouldn't do this at a $50,000 budget. It has to be much more structured because that has to be physically responsible, much now, more responsible. Now, this feeling that you get when you're making this movie, you're, you know, like you said, you're enjoying the process. You know, in your typical day of, of life, you, you might be working on somebody else's film. Yeah, you've worked a lot as a colorist, post-supervisor, you know, working in other people's projects, mm -hmm. right? But then you get the chance to do your own project. What does it feel like for you when you get to do that? Well, that's the dream. <laughs> that's the dream. You know, I, I started off in this business wanting to be a director. Right. And then I, I was blessed with the opportunity to be a director. as a commercial director, music videos, TV shows, streaming series, and movies. And a lot of times you work with clients. And I have no problem working with clients. You know, we partner. I look at them as collaborators. I don't look at them as my boss. And uh, same thing happened with Post. Now, when I wasn't directing all the time, I would have a post-production company and I'd do post-production and that kind of kept, kept food on the table, you know, kept the money flowing. And I started, you know, I started off as an editor, but then I, 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 I shortly, asked, not shortly, but afterwards I turned into more of a colorist online editor, post-production supervisor, VFX supervisor uh, position because I, I could get in and out quicker. The money was better. And um, I just got more satisfaction out of it. But the big difference is, is that when you do your own thing, you, th there is no clock. There is no time frame. You, you, there is no budget in your, of your time. You just, you know, work because you're loving what you're doing. And and now I've been blessed in a place where I, I don't do outside work anymore. I don't I don't work on post-production anymore. I consult. I have a consulting business where I will consult on post-production and post-production workflow and, and marketing and all the other things I can consult on. But I don't physically do outside work anymore. I, I essentially shut down my post-production company. And if anyone calls, I just you know refer them to friends or people that I, I trust that could do the job because I I got to the place where I'd rather just now do what I want to do. And I've gotten to that place in my life where I can go off and make my own movies when I want to. And building a business like Indie Film Hustle and Film Entrepreneur um, allows me to do that. So I'm able to provide service and provide value to an audience and teach people uh, about the business and and hope and hopefully change people's lives and educate them with the work that I do through my podcast and my blog and through all the other you know educational things I do and uh, and then at the same time I'm able to express myself as an artist through making movies through writing books through my podcasting you know all of the things that I do now at um, IFH Industries which is a company that runs everything. Uh, is, is, is 
validating me as making a movie. So like this new book, I got as much joy out of writing and releasing this book as I did from making on the corner of evil and desire. It's a completely different feeling, but still a creative outlet. So I don't need to just do the one thing. I'm diversifying, if you will, like I talk in the book, diversifying your revenue streams. I'm diversifying my creative output in ways that I can be fulfilled as an artist. So I don't just need the one thing anymore. Like I just don't need the movie. Now I have the movie, the shows, the podcast, the writing, the blog, the consulting, the speaking, all these other things that I do fulfill me creatively and allow me, um, allow me to do what I love to do. So that's what I hope for everybody that reads the book. I want them all to live the dream. And if the dream doesn't have to be a mansion on the Hollywood Hills, that's not the dream. It's great. It's wonderful if you can get it. And I, look, I want to make as much money as I possibly can because the more money I have, the more impact I can make on the world. So that's great. It's a great goal. At the end of the day, as a filmmaker, you need to just think about one thing. What is it going to take for me to do this full time? How much money do I need to generate every month to pay my rent or mortgage, to put food on the table, to support my family, put some money away, maybe take a vacation here or there? What is that number for you? Is that 5000 a month? Is it 2000 a month? Is it 10000 a month? Whatever that number is, that's the goal. I don't need to go out and make 100000 200000 500000 Like I always tell people, if someone gave me $500,000, I would make 12 movies. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's, it's... Like, sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say, you know, no, no, no. a lot of times people will, will come to me and they'll say, hey, we want to make this movie. We think it's going to be a million or three million. You know, can you, <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. And, and but we've never made a movie before. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, can you do a, a schedule and a budget for for us? And I was like, sure, I'll do that schedule and budget. But, you know, a lot of times what happens, unfortunately, is it ends up in development hell and nothing ever ha- sure. happens. It sits there for years and years and, right. and they can't get it off the ground. And I think your, your approach is saying, okay, yeah, you, you still can a, a, attempt to do that. And maybe you'll get lucky and find that investor. But in the meantime, you know, you got to do something. You got to um, take those risks and do a micro budget movie, do a no budget movie. Um, now, no, not do not do a no budget movie. Not one, <laughs> do ten. Right, do ten because now if if I walk up like look, I've made I've made ten, um, ten thousand dollar movies, and all of them have, have turned a profit. So I need I need fifty thousand for my next movie, and then that turns a profit. Then you go to a hundred thousand. Then you go to five hundred thousand. Then you go to a million. See, it takes time to get up to that point. The filmmaking industry is the only crazy business that someone who's never done it before is given a million dollars to go do it. Like in what business does that work generally? And by the way, you were saying if someone's lucky enough to get that investment, that's great. And there are, there's a lot of dumb money out there. That's a, that's a technical industry term. It's called dumb money, money that does not know how the film industry works. So they're just like the dentists of the world who just want to go on the red carpet, you know, those kind of guys right. uh, that put in money into movies. That's great, but you won't make your money back. And especially with the way the market is in the marketplace is today, you'll never make another movie again. 
Because if you are able to generate, get that million dollars and you don't turn a profit and you, and I promise you in today's market, if you're not extremely savvy and really understand the marketplace, a million dollar movie could literally have zero market value, could literally be worthless in today's marketplace. I just got back from America, the American film market. I'm telling you, I saw it firsthand. There were half million, million dollar movies who got no money, who, who couldn't even get sold because they just weren't the right, they didn't think about the business side of it. And if they thought, oh, we're going to get into Sundance. And when they don't get into Sundance or any other of the 40 festivals that they submit to because there's either too much competition or they just don't like it, then what? See, that doesn't make any sense. You've got to think about the end game here. You've got to think about the business. If you're not, you're just not going to make it. And you're going to waste a lot of time and, and, and really, you know, I'm trying to avoid a lot of pain. A lot of the pain that I've gone through, a lot of the shrapnel that I carry with me, that I've taken in this business, I'm trying to have people, avoid people having that. So let's just say, you know, I'm a college student. I just graduated film school, or maybe I'm just an individual um, kind of new in the game, what advice do you have for me if if you are thinking about, you know, attempting this idea of making my own movie? Do they do that right away? Do they wait? Um, if I, I would, first and foremost, you need to understand, you need to learn the craft. So if you want to learn the craft by shooting, um, 20, feature, 20 short films with your iPhone and editing them on your on a laptop, do it that way. That's fine. You have There's so much information on, on YouTube, on Indie Film Hustle TV, my streaming service. Education is everywhere for, for filmmakers. So you can find, you can find uh, education anywhere you want, but you have to go and do it. So do it a, a bunch of times. And by the way, those first 10 or 15 or 20 short films, they, you don't have to show them to anybody. They're just a way for you to learn. And that's hard for a lot of filmmakers to do. But Robert Rodriguez, who did El Mariachi, he had shot 25 shorts and edited them, and he taught himself how to make movies before he ever did El Mariachi. He had learned the craft to, to a certain extent enough to get his first movie made. So filmmakers need to do that. Once they do that, they should definitely obviously read my book, Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, uh, to basically start getting their mindset, not just a craft, but how are they going to be able to make a living with it? How are they going to be able to build a business around it? If you want to do this as a hobby, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I can go and pick up a guitar and start learning how to play the guitar and maybe I'll get a, a gig here or there at a coffee shop once a month but that doesn't pay my rent. So that's a hobby. If you want to be a hobbyist filmmaker, by all means, do it. But if you want to make a living doing this, then you need to understand the business and you need to think about the business. And if you don't, you won't survive, period. That's not, I'm not sugarcoating it. You won't make it because the business is changing so rapidly that the quote unquote professional distributors and producers are having a hard time making money now because the marketplace is shifting so rapidly with streaming and the devaluation of media and all these other things that are going on in the industry. The same thing that happened in the music industry is happening to us now. 
It's just taking a little longer for, for it to get to us. But if we don't change and you don't think about what I'm saying, you're not going to make it in a business standpoint. On a hobby standpoint, knock yourself out. But you have to start thinking differently. That's the best advice I can give. You know, I'm thinking about making a micro budget myself, but I'm kind of glad that I waited a little bit only because for me, it's been helpful to been, go through those trials of making shorts and working on other people's features and being a line producer and an AD and all these different roles. It's helped me to figure out how to do it. Um, whereas, you know, if you just start out, you know, like you said, you're going to run into problems. So, um, and, and the, it's, a, it's, look, it's the equivalent it's the equivalent of me going right now hey look you know what i watch hgtv I, i've seen a lot of these uh, fixer upper shows where people you know i think i can build a house so i'm gonna go build a house but i'm not gonna build a little shack in the back with like a little bit of money just to see if i can even do something that's structurally sound or looks any good or it's safe um but i'm gonna ask for a million dollars to go make my first house and then I, i'm gonna hire a bunch of people who may or may not know what they're doing because i don't know what what their jobs are. So I don't even know if they're doing what they're saying they're going to do. So let's say for the best case scenario that I actually built something that's halfway decent. Well, I built it out in the desert because I like the view, but I can't sell it now. Mm-hmm. Do you see the point? That is the craziness. That's the ridiculousness of our industry and of, of the filmmaking, the filmmaker ego to think the audacity to think that you just show up and, and make a movie that's going to be, astronomical and it's going to be, oh my God, it's, every, it's going to take the world on by storm. Are there prodigies? Yeah. Every once in a while, you'll get that lottery ticket. You'll get those filmmakers, you know, but behind every prodigy, there's a lot of work. Behind a, a, every Robert Rodriguez, there's 25 short films more likely that he was busting his ass before he ever shot his first film that blew him up. So it's just an arrogance, an ignorance and arrogance and an ego that allows the filmmaker to think that they can jump in and make a giant feature film uh, or even just a feature film period when they've never shot anything in their lives. It doesn't make any sense. You know, they don't want, they want the glory. They don't want the work. They, ha- they don't want the grind. They don't want the hustle. And that, the whole, that, the business weeds them out very quickly. So if you want to actually make a go of this, it's going to be a long game, man. It's, this is not a, uh, a five. This is not a, a one-year plan. This is a five to ten-year plan, mm-hmm. and you have to look at it that way. So, as we wrap things up, I, I wanted to see um, if you know if somebody wanted to follow you, track you down. I know there's too many websites. <laughs> Which, what, how should <laughs> how should they find you? What's the best way? They just Google you. Well, no, the best way to get a hold of me, everything, the big hub of everything is IndieFilmHustle.com. Okay. Right. So that, that'll take you to everything. But uh, if you want to get the book, uh, the book is available on Amazon, Audible, and Barnes & Noble on paperback, ebook, and an audiobook. And you can go to FilmBizBook.com. That's FilmBizBook.com. If you don't, by the way, a little side hustle, if you don't have an, uh, an Audible account, you can get this book for free. All you got to do is sign up for the 